In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We come into the presence of God in order to pray, to pray, to be with Him, and to learn from Him, to learn what's important in life, to learn what He's like, to learn what we're like, what He wants us to do. And there are several scenes in the Gospel where we see the disciples of our Lord, particularly the apostles, arguing about who's the greatest and wondering about who's the greatest among them. And this usually elicits a rebuke on Jesus's part, but also he turns it into a, an opportunity to teach them, what we call a teaching moment. And when he does this, he, he doesn't tell them not to strive for greatness. He doesn't tell them not to try to be first. But he teaches them a new criteria, a new way of being great, a new way of being first. And it's a paradoxical way, Lord, because it entails humility. It entails willingly making ourselves less. When we think of being first, we think of being number one. And number one for us means that we're better than everyone else. We exalt ourselves above others. And our Lord, in a, in a very paradoxical way, you, Lord, tell us that to be great, we must be small. To be number one, we must be last. In the Gospel of Matthew, we have a passage that's like this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble, like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble, like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And it's good for us to think about this, Lord, in your presence, in our prayer. What is the humility of a child? What does our Lord find attractive and praiseworthy in the humility of children. When we think about children, they're humble because they're trusting. They don't trust in their own judgment. They don't trust in their own views of things. They ask questions. Why is this that way? Why is this the other way? Explain this to me. Children are needy and they're simple in their, in their neediness. They're not afraid to ask for help. They don't mind being helped. They ask for help all the time. And so these are small ways in which we, in our interior life, in our, in our life and faith in general, can become greater, can respond to the desire for greatness that we all have. God has not made us to be, to be mediocre. God has not made us to be bad. He's made us to be great. He's called us to holiness. 
But this holiness entails humility, and the humility of a child is something that our Lord seems to have a special appreciation for, that he places a special value on. Unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. St. Therese of Lisieux, who had great desires for holiness, she had very deep and profound desires for great holiness. She wanted to be a great saint. She dared to be as great as St. Therese of Avila, one of the greatest saints. And yet, how did she do this? She did this by being humble. In a letter to her sister, she writes, I do not find it difficult to answer you. How can you ask me if it be possible for you to love God as I love him? Because she was writing to her sister, telling her that she loved God so much that she wanted to be a martyr. She wanted to die for God. And her sister was impressed by this desire, by this great love for God that St. Therese had in her heart. And she asked Therese, well, I'm not sure if I can love God as much as you do. And St. Therese says, of course you can. (laughs) How can you ask me if it be possible for you to love God as I love him? My desire for martyrdom is as nothing. It is not to that that I owe the boundless confidence that fills my heart. Such desires might be described as spiritual riches, which are unjust mammon, when one is complacent in them as in something great. These aspirations are a consolation Jesus sometimes grants to weak souls like mine. And there are many such. Do not think then that my desires are a proof of my love. Indeed, I know well that it is certainly not these desires which make God take pleasure in my soul. And so Therese is here saying that that our Lord Jesus, that you, Lord Jesus, gave her those desires for martyrdom, gave her those great feelings of love, those great experiences of love. As a kind of, as a kind of consolation, a kind of reward. And then she goes on to say what the heart of Jesus's love for her consists in, or what the heart of her own pleasingness to God consists in. Indeed, I know well that it is certainly not these desires which make God take pleasure in my soul. What does please him is to find me love my littleness, my poverty. It is the blind trust which I have in his mercy. There is my sole treasure, dearest Godmother, and should it not be yours? Are you not ready to suffer all that God wills? There is my sole treasure. This is the thing that God delights in, in my soul. This is the thing that causes him to bless me with these great desires for a great holiness, even martyrdom. What? Specifically, what does please him is to find me love my littleness, my poverty. It is the blind trust which I have in his mercy. And so St. Therese, in her humility, is okay being nothing, is okay being poor in God's sight, is okay being small. Not only is she okay with it, she loves it. Why does she love it? Because because loving her littleness is, removes any obstacle between her and God's greatness. Recognizing in God's sight that she is nothing allows her to see clearly how God is everything, how much God loves her, how great God is, 
Her ego is not in the way. And this is something that, that we can do and that we need to do. Our Lord says it, that we have to change and become like children. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Lord, we ask you to give us a greater grace to accept our limitations and to accept them, but to accept them with a great confidence in you that you're all powerful and you take things that are nothing and make them great. You create the whole universe, this wonderful universe that we live in and we discover more and more about as the decades roll on and as science continues to make its discoveries, we discover how wonderful the physical universe is. Great mysteries of space and life. And that's just a small reflection of God. And God created it all out of nothing. He took the nothing, literally nothingness, nothing, and made the universe out of it. Well, what he, what can he do then with something that he's already created that already exists no matter how small it is compared to him. He can do a lot with it. St. Paul makes the same point talking about the church, talking about each one of us. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters, he writes to the early Christians. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God chose what is foolish to shame the wise, what is weak to shame the strong, what is low and despised, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. And so if we realize our limitations, if we realize that I just can't do certain things on my own, I hit a wall, I hit a plateau in my ability to learn or my ability to work or my ability to pray or my ability to love. That's not a bad spot to be in. That's a good spot to be in. Because then we have to turn to God and say, look, Lord, I'm the foolish that needs your help to shame the wise. I'm the weak that needs your help to be strong, to vie with the strong. I'm nothing that needs your help to bring to nothing the things that are. And the quicker we do this, the more, the more voluntarily we do this, recognize our, our littleness before God, recognize our dependence on God. The quicker God lifts us up, the more he can do, the more he can do with us. We don't, our ego kind of weighs us down. Our pride weighs us down. St. Augustine says, my love is my weight. And so if we love ourselves, we kind of put our, our center of gravity in ourselves, in our ego. And if we overcome our love of self, if we humble ourselves in order to love God and others, we make ourselves light. We put, we put our weight 
our attraction in God and in others. And we go there very easily, very freely, because that becomes our center of gravity. Why is humility hard, though, Lord? Why is it so hard for me to be humble? There's a uh, old country song in which the the chorus goes like this. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in so many ways. And <laughs> and that's about it, right? That's about right. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, in describing pride, the opposite of humility, St. Thomas Aquinas talks about pride as a kind of intemperance. And it's a lack of moderation and a love for something. And so we could have intemperance with, with drinks. We might like to drink beer too much or we can have intemperance with food. Maybe I like fried chicken too much. We can have intemperance with entertainment. We watch too many shows with, with our phone. We check it too much. We're distracted. But we can also have intemperance with the love of ourselves and specifically of our own excellence. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in so many ways. And that precisely is St. Thomas's definition of pride, an inordinate, intemperate love of our own excellence. And that's hard to overcome. It's hard to overcome because our excellence, the good that we, that we um, love and pride is very close to us, right? It's the good in a certain sense that we are, and it's the good that we do. It's very closely tied up with our sense of personal identity. It's very closely tied up with our autonomy. It's very closely tied up with our own self-judgment. And so it's very easy when we do anything good or when we see something good in us to do two things. One is to overvalue it, to think it's better than it is. And the other is to attribute it to ourselves, right? to have vain glory, glory that's vain, glory that has been stolen from God and attributed to ourselves. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask you, help us to want to be humble. Since pride is so closely tied up with the sense of ourselves, since it's so easy to overestimate our own excellence, to love it too much, to attribute it to ourselves, Lord Jesus, I need to want to be humble in order to be humble. St. Josemaria in the furrow helps us to make a good examination of conscience on the level of our pride, the relative weakness of our humility. In point 263 of the furrow, he lists, I think, almost 20, maybe 17 or 16 different points that are manifestations of, of pride. I'll just read about half of them so as not to um, <laughs> get anyone discouraged out there who's, who's, who's praying with us now. Allow me to remind you that among other evident signs of a lack of humility are thinking that what you do or say is better than what others do or say. Always wanting to get your own way. Arguing when you are not right or when you are insisting stubbornly with bad man manners. Despising the point of view of others. Not being aware that all the gifts and qualities you have are on loan. Making excuses when rebuked, 
hearing praise with satisfaction or being glad that others have spoken well of you. Refusing to carry out menial tasks. Seeking or wanting to be singled out. And all of these stem from from pride, from overvaluing ourselves, overvaluing our own excellence, overvaluing our own status, and therefore undervaluing God and others. So it's clear from this that in order to grow in humility, we have to work at it. We have to want it and we have to work at it. And how do we do that, Lord? Well, we have to look for reminders of our lowliness and embrace them. We don't grow in humility except through humiliations, things that don't go well, moments in which we're embarrassed, moments in which we see the limitations of our character, our situation, at times very difficult moments of unjust attacks or misunderstandings or accusations that are hard to defend ourselves from. But when we do this, there's a whole... There's a whole world that opens up to accept uh, real humiliation voluntarily in order to identify ourselves with Christ who humbled himself in the Passion, who humbles himself in the Eucharist, who humbled himself becoming one of us, is very fruitful, very fruitful. There's nothing, there's nothing like it for, for advancing in the spiritual life. St. Augustine says it's, it's really a condition for our union with God. Lord God, if we want to possess you, if we want to reach you, we have to lower ourselves. Augustine writes this, Consider, O brethren, this great marvel. God is on high. Reach up to him, and he flees from you. Lower yourself before him, and he comes down to you. And so it's, it's, it's paradoxical. If we want to be great in reaching God, if we want to be very high in our prayer life, very high in our, in our search and journey to holiness, we have to lower ourselves. We have to empty ourselves. There's no other way. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And he who exalts himself, as our Lord says, will be humbled. He who humble, humbles himself will be exalted. And he who exalts himself will be humbled. Among difficult and humiliating situations, there are some that are, that are particularly fruitful. And these are the ones precisely that we don't understand. When something happens to us or something happens to a loved one, you know, a very difficult situation that, um, at times causes a great sorrow, a great concern, a great anxiety, a great suffering, great suffering of soul. We can come to the point where we just don't get it. And we start to question God's plan and question God's goodness. We, we, we don't see anything good in this situation. And in the honesty of our prayer, we call out to our Lord and we say, why, Lord, why are you doing this? I don't, I don't get it. And the immediate, the immediate response at times is, well, I have to trust. And that's true. We have to trust in God's plan. We have to trust in God's goodness as a result of our faith. 
But faith here needs to be accompanied by a great humility. We have to, we have to at the same time say, you are God and I am just a creature. As our Lord says in the Old Testament, my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, my thoughts above your thoughts. And so when we come to a point, when we come to a point in our life where it's really dark and we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and we can't see the plan, we can't see the goodness in the situation, we don't feel God's presence we're, we're tempted to give up our faith. That's also a time, in addition to, to having a greater trust, trusting in spite of everything, having that certainty of things unseen, we also have to have humility to say, Lord, I trust your judgment. I don't know what it is. I don't have access, access to it right now. But I don't trust my own judgment of the situation. I trust your judgment, which is divine and true, and wise, and eternal. Which means that I distrust myself. I distrust what's the most difficult thing to distrust, which is our own evaluation of our own situation. Again, because there's that inordinate um, valuing of our own activity. There's that inordinate attachment to our own goodness. St. Josemaria said that one of the most difficult things to be detached from is our own judgment. And so it's almost like we have to make a, we have to make a meta judgment. Right? We have to use, <laughs> we have to make a judgment of our judgments to realize, okay, this might be the way that I see things and I can't see anything good here, but I know that my intellect is finite compared to God's intellect. My intellect doesn't see all that God sees. It doesn't see into the future. It doesn't see how this might be good for me and for those I love right now. But that doesn't mean that God's intellect can't see those things and isn't working for those things. And especially when our Lord lets something happen to us that hurts a lot, usually there's some sort of deep purification going on there. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and chasten. And if we don't keep the perspective of humility and the perspective of faith, those situations can easily lead into a real rebellion, a real rejection of God, and a crisis of our faith. And God is doing something very good for us, although very painful. And instead of um, trusting that he has a reason for letting us go through this pain, a reason that we can't see, we reject it. We rebel against his activity. We rebel against his plan, against his will. It's kind of like if, you know, imagine you got into a car accident and you were knocked out um, by the crash. And then you wake up and you're, and you have no memory of what was happening. And you, you happen to wake up out of your anesthesia and you're on an operating table and you feel this sharp pain in your back. And you realize that, that someone is behind you and they are cutting your back. And causing a, a tremendous amount of pain. And you have no memory of the accident. So you don't know that there's like this piece of metal that has been lodged in your back. And 
and the surgeon is, is cutting at, at the wound so that he can dislodge the piece of metal. You, your first reaction might be to say, what are you doing to me? Get me out of here. Stop hurting me. Stop cutting this. But the surgeon, of course, has a greater perspective on the situation. He knows things and sees things that you can't see right now. All you feel is the pain. You might remember the beginning of the accident, but you don't know what has really happened to you. And it's the same with our Lord, Lord Jesus. As you say in Revelation, I reprove and chasten those whom I love. Pain that our Lord lets us go through. Many times it's a purification. The hardest things that happen to us are, are super difficult at times because our Lord is trying to, to carve out our attachments, to carve out our, our inordinate love of self. And at times that's reflected in an inordinate love of others. We love others in a bad way. Not too much, but excessively in the wrong way. Or we love the world and things in the world excessively in the wrong way. Or we love our own career, our own success, our own reputation excessively and in the wrong way. And so God in his wisdom lets us get into situations like accidents where those things are stripped from us and it hurts. And if we're not humble and say, well, my judgment on this is not the final word. His ways are not my ways. Those he loves, he reproves and chastens. If we're not humble in our judgment and trusting in our suffering, what is a great opportunity for purification, what is a great opportunity for love, for growth, and knowing God as God, emptying ourselves, becomes instead um, instead an occasion of of rejection of God, of bitterness, of despair. And so God trusts us by putting us into those crossroads. He trusts that we have the ability to be humble. We have the ability to suffer with patience, with love. We have the ability to trust him in a certain sense blindly when we can't see what he's up to. There's a shortcut, thank God. (laughs) There's a shortcut to humility, which is gratitude. And sometimes we go through those more difficult purifications, those more difficult humiliations, which are for our good, but very not much fun to go through. But if we persevere, come out on the, on the other side, there's a whole new world, a whole new light of perspective that waits for us. But in normally, um, when we're talking about you know our day-to-day life without any great uh, trials or great problems, Thanksgiving is a great shortcut to humility because when we, when we thank God for the good that we have, the good that we are, the good that we do, in the, in the very act of thanking Him for it, we don't, we don't attribute it to ourselves, which is part of the, uh, of the essence of pride, right? Attributing our, our goodness to ourselves. And St. Paul says this, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? What do you have that you have not received? And the answer, of course, is nothing, is nothing. We, we receive everything from God, including our existence, including our personality, including all of our talents, including even the ability to 
to choose and, and to exercise our freedom to develop those talents, to serve God. It all comes from God because God is our creator. In him we live and move and have our being. Without God's thought of us, without God's constant love for us, his constant granting us existence and grace, we can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing, as our Lord puts it in that image of the vine and the branches. And so this is a wonderful way to work on our humility, which is a very positive way and also brings us a great deal of joy, just to thank God. Whenever we're tempted to vanity because we see something good in ourselves or other people compliment us, thank God. Whenever we see something good in others, instead of comparing ourselves and think, well, am I better than them? Are they better than me? Why don't I have that? Thank God that those people have those good things. Thanksgiving leads almost automatically to to a greater a greater humility. Lord, help us to have that great sense that everything good comes from you. In the Mass, right? Um, in the um, third and fourth Eucharistic prayers, right at the end of the right at the end of the Eucharistic prayer, before we say through Him and with Him and in Him, we say that all good things come through Jesus Christ, right? All good things in the world come from Jesus Christ. No good comes from ourselves without Christ's help. No good comes from ourselves without God holding us in existence, giving us the gift of, of being and being good and being able to love be, and, and being pleasing to him. And that's why St. Therese, right, says, the thing that God loves about me is that I love my littleness. I love my nothingness. Which means I recognize that it all comes from Him. And in recognizing that it all comes from Him, um, he, you know, He's confident. He can give me more grace. He can, he can let me do great things. He can let me have an awesome prayer life because He knows I'm not going to attribute it to myself. The desires for martyrdom that I have, I know they come from Him. They're just consolations. They're just little gifts from God. And so the more we, we voluntarily, with his help, of course, but voluntarily, recon, voluntarily recognize that all good things come from him, the more blessings he can give us. And surprise, surprise, <laughs> who teaches us, who teaches us this, um, this coexistence, this codependence, really, of humility, uh, littleness, and magnanimity, greatness of soul, greatness of desire, greatness of heart. Our Lady, Our Lady teaches teaches it to us right? in her own in her own experience. They come together. They come together as she expresses it in the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He has looked with favor on the lowliness of His servant. Surely, from all, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And so we have this combination here of Our Lady's humility, her recognizing that she is, is a lowly, that her lowliness, her humility, and that she's a servant. And her soul, therefore, magnifies the Lord. Right? She has a great soul, a soul that's capable of receiving God's glory and magnifying it. And her spirit rejoices in God. 
And and she knows that she's great, she, not because uh, she's great on her own, but because in her humility, God has looked upon her with favor. She's telling the truth about herself, telling the truth about him. And because of that, he can lift her up. He can fill her with all this grace. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Our Lady, our Mother, Queen of all saints, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.